0: Get ready to listen. Okay, let's watch it. Ready to listen. Block by block Chicago. Block by block Chicago. Block by
1: block Chicago.
0: Percolator. I am Lily Collins and I will be your host for today's live podcast. Today we will, we will be discussing topics that the 7th graders have been developing throughout a six-week workshop done by our Block by Block program in Chicago. So let's jump into our first topic, Sleep Paralysis by
2: Adriana Sanchez.
3: Hello ladies and gentlemen, I am Adriana Sanchez from 7th grade at Smizer Elementary School. Right here with me at Percolator Cafe, I have a very spe- <coughs> special guest with me. If she would mind introducing herself to us, it'd be amazing.
4: Hello everybody. <laughs> My name is Soraya Guzman and um, I got forty-four years and um, I'm driving for Uber for four years and a half and I'm Adriana Sanchez
3: Thank you. It's nice to have you with us, Soraya. Now, in what we've discussed, I understand that you have been through sleep paralysis.
4: Yes. And
3: many people have gone through it. They just do not know the name of this experience. Would you mind explaining sleep paralysis for
4: us, please? It's hard for me to explain. did you know that? <laughs> okay, Um. I'll try to explain. I'm sorry. I said my apologies. My English is not good, but... um. Yeah, it feels like uh, you can move, you know, and it's it's scared because you see everybody, but you can say nothing and nobody can help you. It's really hard.
3: I know that your definition from this is what you've been through. I would also like to add that sleep paralysis for many other people is actually very calming. It's not that scary at all for some people. For many it is, but for plenty it isn't. Oh, okay. I know it's surprising that such an alarming event can calm someone, but there's a reason during sleep paralysis that these hallucinations and horrible creatures or traumatic events that can fuel someone with worry can be calming to some people. It's, it can be closure to some.
4: Yes.
3: Now, to expand our information on what you've been through, would you? what do you normally feel when you have sleep paralysis, Soraya?
4: Scared.
3: What's the most terrifying thing you've seen during this experience? What is that what the most terrifying thing you've seen during this experience?
4: I can breathe. I can breathe. I can say anything. And it's it's hard, it's really scary.
3: Did you ever have um, an episode of sleep paralysis where you felt calm and okay?
4: Yeah, Um, I remember my dad say, you have to be calm down. Just try to take a, a, a deep, deep breath and then you have to close your eyes and try to open it again right away. And since that time, you know, it's
3: it's good. So, I would like to ask you this question. In studies, it shows that lack of sleep and stress can provoke sleep paralysis. So, tell me, Saraya, do you think they are correct? Or do you think there might be some missing information in here? You are correct. Do you have any spiritual beliefs on this? Any believes that maybe it's God's doing the work of the devil, anything like this?
4: I don't know, it's really hard to explain that. I I don't know, you know, why it happened, you know, I don't know.
3: Mm, I know that during spiritual, uh, for spiritual beliefs, most people think a demon is holding them down and that it's because of them that you see the hallucinations and that you can't move. Quite frightening, actually. Do you still have sleep paralysis?
4: Not not anymore.
3: I'm assuming it's because of your father that has helped you. Yes. If it were to happen to you again, sleep paralysis, would you follow your father's steps? What do you think you would see? Do you think you'd be able to do it again, what your father told you to?
4: Yes. That was working for me still is yes
3: do you ever feel in before obviously and when you used to have (coughs) continuous episodes that you couldn't wake up that it wasn't working you you have you ever experienced Mm -hmm. like when you're trying to open your eyes you wouldn't wake up that you're stuck there
4: actually I tried to do you know like three times and the third time, you know, it's my my eye as uh, it's opening, and then you know, um, I w- woke up. I was woke up.
3: Well, that wraps up this interview. Thank you for answering all of these questions today. Have a wonderful day. You're welcome. Thank you.
0: My name is Lauren Persons. I am a seventh grade student from Smyzer School and here um, today I have here at the regulator my my partner. <laughs> um, Alex.
5: Um my name's Alex. <laughs> do that.
0: Um and today here we have uh, Jacqueline Silverman. Hi. Jacqueline. Hi guys. Um, So we're going to be interviewing you about like school hours. Mm. Um, So when you were in school, like in elementary school, um, were the days like, were the hours long? Like were they? Well I went to
5: elementary school in Ohio and my day from what I can remember like way back when, (laughs) I think it was eight hours. I think it was like Maybe seven or
3: eight hours. Okay. All right. Um. Um, Our second question is: Did you ever think that school was overwhelming? Today, I never think that.
5: No, there were a lot of times, specifically in high school, I wish it was a little bit longer.
0: What about um, like in elementary school, like? I
5: personally didn't find school all that overwhelming in elementary school.
0: That's good. Um. Um, was it, like, um, hold on, sorry. Um, how would you compare, like, the school hours from, like, like, when you were in school to, like, school hours now, like, in elementary school?
5: Um, well, I work with a lot of different schools around the Chicago area and did work, I have worked with a lot of schools in Ohio, and, um, how would I compare them? I would, I would say that the school hours here are much shorter and the class periods are like a lot more brief. And um, I think that would be the only comparison.
0: Um okay.
5: Um how would you compare the school hours? Alex, I asked. You. Do you think school hours are long
0: for like the children at like schools now? Um I th- I think the school that I'm working with, their hours are a little
5: long compared to some of the ones that I've seen where the day is five hours or four hours. So the one where I'm at it's it's seven hours.
0: Okay. Um do you think like 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 seven hours is a long time to be in school? No, I think I think seven hours a
5: day is pretty good depending on how the day is structured, right? I mean yeah. how do you guys feel?
0: Well I think <laughs> it's a little long. <laughs> I'm, yeah. It's like I feel like it's too, too long. long. Um if you, like, if you thought they were long, like, do you have, like, anything, like, um, what do you think could be done? If, like, if children think the school hours are, like, long, what do you think could be done to fix that? Well, I think if, the, if they're taking the same classes
5: every day for the full year, and that transition can be really boring and really numbing, sometimes changing up how you learn, so maybe having systems where... Half the school year is a certain set of classes that are either longer or shorter, and then they switch in the next quarter yeah. or semester. I think that seems to break up that kind of idea of how long a school day is because you get to take maybe one topic you don't enjoy and one topic you really yeah. super enjoy.
0: That's good. Um, I think that wraps up like all our questions. It's pretty sure, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> thank you for coming today. Yeah. Thank Thanks you for, for everything. Questions. All right.
2: I'm a uh, seventh grade student from Smizer
0: School. Hi, I'm Eric Hernandez. I'm also a seventh grade
2: uh, student from Smizer.
6: And who are you? My name's Heidi O'Toole, and I am a seventh grade teacher at Smizer School.
0: Well, a coincidence. Uh, it is. Isn't hello. It? hello.
2: Hello. Uh, <laughs> Miss O'Toole. Heidi. Heidi. Um, Okay, so um, I'm going to be talking about cereal and the prices. Okay. So uh, do you eat cereal on a daily basis?
6: I don't eat it on a daily basis, but I do eat cereal. My kid, my kids eat more cereal than I do.
2: So I'm sure that you are aware of the prices, right?
6: I am definitely aware of the prices. Okay. I went to the grocery store not too long ago, and I was, I was appalled at the cost of, I don't know what they wanted, uh what is this stupid Reese's Pieces, Reese's Peanut Butter yeah. Cup things. I was like, oh my god, five bucks for a box yeah. of cereal? You're kidding me.
2: Yeah, so you definitely think that cereal is overpriced, right?
6: Cereal is definitely overpriced okay. for what you get.
2: Okay, so we're on the same page. We are on the same so, page. Um, so how much of your budget goes into cereal for your offspring? <laughs>
6: I, I'm i actually not exactly sure how much <laughs> money goes into my offspring cereal budget. Um, I would say that if they ate it on a daily basis, which we don't always eat it, but if we did, I would say that we would spend about, I would say, $10 or $15 a week or every other week. Let's go every other week. It just depends on how much they eat cereal. And sometimes they eat it not just for breakfast. You know, cereal is not for breakfast, just breakfast anymore. It could be any time. So,
2: um, why do you think um,
6: cereal is so overpriced? I asked that same question when I was at the grocery store. I'm like, why is this this expensive? It doesn't make sense to me. I think it probably has to do with the marketing um, to get kids to want to buy that kind of cereal. And I really couldn't tell you, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So um, I did some research
2: and uh, some like possible culprits are the ingredients, the boxing, and the competition too because um, in, in these past years, um, like cereal brands have come up with like cheaper, healthier alternatives, and so people are like kind of going towards that, like healthier options, kind of. And so, um, in order for the companies to stay afloat, they have to raise the prices.
6: Sure. You know what is so funny? So, when I was a kid, we always had little toys in our cereal, and that's not the way it is anymore. So, they're, yes. they're even like not even doing that. Yeah.
2: So, what do you think we could do to lower the prices of cereal?
6: Hmm what could we, I don't know, maybe tell all of the cereal people we're not going to buy their cereal anymore until they lower the prices, or, you know, it's a boycott of General Mills, and (laughs) I don't know how that'll go, but, you know, maybe that.
2: Yeah, Um, and what, if not um, lowering the prices, what could be some uh, cheaper alternatives?
6: Well, you can always go to Aldi's, because usually Aldi's or, like, the off-brand cereals are usually cheaper, and it's the same price, and sometimes it's even the same Ingredients and they just put a different label on it and call it something a little bit different, and it's the same company, even they Mm -hmm. just go under a different name. So, doing that, or instead of the boxes, you know how they have the bags of cereal, those are equally that you get more for your money in those. Yeah,
2: okay well um thank you for listening and answering these questions no problem on to the next food related questions
0: food related Um,
6: questions okay are you aware of the cps food like are you connected with it somehow i am i don't want to be connected to the cps food but i am connected (laughs) because of being a teacher at school
0: yeah so what are your thoughts on the public school food
6: well like i told you before i um when i at some point in my teaching career i tried to get the food changed at Smizer School. We, um, I petitioned and got a salad bar at school, and we had composting bins and the whole nine yards. And the problem was that the students didn't eat the, the um, salad enough, so then it would go to waste, which was great for my composting, but not so good for, you know, continuing that program. So eventually they got rid of it, and then they did little bags of, of salad, but that didn't, I don't think that even went any any place either and we also I did research on how the food is processed so that um, I even tried to get students to go to the place that they processed the food but they wouldn't let us go I'm not sure why but they wouldn't let us go but they did say that the food when it was cooked at the place it was cooked it was healthy it was all that but then they would freeze it or they would have to put it in some place so that they you know um, would preserve it enough so it could be transported and that was where the problem came, because by the time they got to school, it wasn't very good, it was frozen still, so there was a lot of different problems that came up with this food.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, we see that you tried to fix it, but what are some possible solutions, like some other ways we can deal with this?
6: Once again, I think petitioning, or but the I think that the bigger problem is that it's, run by a big conglomerate, so it's like one or two people that have all of the power, so to speak, and I think that the only way you're going to change it is if the masses come together and start talking about how it needs to be fixed, and to give them, and just saying saying something needs to be fixed unless you find alternatives for it is not a solution. You have to give them solutions already, so that they're like, oh, well, huh. And you got to make it so it's like they think they did it, and then all of a sudden they're going to possibly change it.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, uh, yeah, thank you for being on the podcast.
6: No Watch problem. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, guys. Uh, see you next time. Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs>
3: is Janessa Howell, and I'm going to be talking about how bullying affects the earth.
0: So we all know
3: people get bullied by the way they look or dress here and around the world. Many people don't know that we are also bullying the earth in, in many different ways. People are cutting, cutting trees down where animals live in. It also means that we might not have a lot of trees to provide us with oxygen. People are also putting trash in the water that hurts animals and might kill them, such as plastic straws, candy wrappers, six-pack rings, or six-pack yolks, especially plastic bottles that are most common in the water and even plastic bags and garbage bags. They don't even know that they are doing it and just do it anyways without, without care, but many other people try to help the environment to save the animals and the earth. Now, my friends are going to talk about the environment and about plastic straws.
0: Good afternoon,
7: and welcome to Percolator. My name is Kaylee Roman.
1: Hello. I'm Lisa Sutton, and we are seventh graders from Smyser school, and today we're going to be talking about the environment. Um,
7: do you think we are trashing the earth with all the products we put in the garbage?
1: Um, I don't really think that we're, like, purposely trashing the earth. I think that we don't realize what our, like, our actions are doing. Do you think we should have
7: a law of... Plan- Banning uh, plastic straws and other plastic products.
1: I don't think that we should ban them, but like maybe that we should do like some kind of like rule, I guess you could say, like saying like we have to like you bring your own like metal straw or something. But if like you need a plastic straw, you ask for one, so they don't just like give it to you automatically. Um, do you think that we should have a handbook on recycling so people know how to recycle properly? Yes,
7: I think we should have a handbook on recycling because some people don't know how to recycle. Properly, like, um, pizza boxes of grease. You can't recycle that because it has grease on it and you can't recycle grease. Um, mm-hmm. So I think you should have handbooks. Okay. Um, hello, um, it's Kaylee Roman again, and um, we are now with the Percolator owner, Mr. Bestalone. Hi, everyone. Um, so what is, like, the history of your coffee shop?
8: Ooh, okay, we're jumping right in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, almost five years ago, uh, we opened our doors in September of 2014. Uh, we took over this space that was formerly uh, a coffee house for about a year and a half, um, and they uh, unfortunately did not make it, but fortunately for us, uh, left a, a great uh, corner that just needed some love and some paint and uh, new decorations, and uh, and we... we took it over, and I guess the rest is history. We're coming on five years now.
7: Okay, so uh, do you think we should have, like, a rule about banning plastic straws?
8: Uh, well, I think that, you know, it's difficult to make a blanket law like that because there are people, certain people with disabilities, that do need, um, do need straws, right, for accessibility purposes. And so... Um, it's, it's tough to make that call. But uh, I know that there are alternatives out there, and I think that uh, it, as the alternatives become more viable, um, we use here, we use uh, compostable straws that are made from a corn plastic, so they feel like plastic. Uh, they're a little more brittle, they're not as malleable, so if they snap, you know, whatever. But uh, as I guess what I'm saying is, as new alternatives become accessible and more readily available, I don't think that there's any reason why we can't move away from traditional plastic straws.
7: Um do you think um like we should have a handbook on plastic straws or in like if we should have them, like how to use them properly and like how to recycle properly?
8: I mean, I think we should have a handbook on life. You know, we, we need a handbook on just about everything. Uh, you make a good point though. I I think that it would be helpful if we focused more on education you know, uh, and the why's behind the what's. It's tough to just say, oh, we're going to pass a shopping bag you know, law, no more plastic bags. Or in the case of New York City, we're going to ban Styrofoam, no more Styrofoam. These are all great things, but they can upset the average consumer or the average business owner if we don't do our job in explaining why. You know, why are we making these changes? So I think it starts with education.
7: Um, and that is all we have for today.
8: All right, thank you so
4: much. Here.
1: Now we're going to be transitioning to a story about a life as a plastic straw. Okay, it all starts in a plastic straw factory.
7: I was born on June 4th, 2019. I was put in a wooden crate filled with my brothers and sisters in the dark. You're put on a boat and shipped to 6032 West Irving Park Road, Chicago, Illinois, in a tiny coffee shop called Percolator. Mr. Bassalone unboxed me from the horror of the wooden box, but put me in a cup of steaming hot coffee only for someone to drink out of me. Whoever it was, your breath smelled horrible and you left all your saliva all over me. Now my beautiful hair is ruined. I was thrown on the floor. I waited for hours. It was closing time and Mr. Bassalone swept the floors and put me in the garbage bag. It was dark and cold. Out of nowhere, it smelled horrible and it was moving quickly at a fast pace. I think it was a garbage truck. I slid through the bag out of the truck and onto the streets. The wind blew me into the ocean. And I later was put in a turtle's throat. Thousands of years later I dissolved and died.
1: Um, ripped plastic straw June 4th, 5019. That's
9: I'm Lizzie Gonzalez and this is Michael Loos. And you are? Uh, and I
10: am uh, Peter Alter. I work at the Chicago History Museum.
9: Okay, so um, our segment is on immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, there was this woman and her name was Paula Hincapie Rendon. Uh, Paula Hincapi-Rendon is a DACA recipient that was arrested by ICE agents on May 8th in uh, Chicago. Paula was on her way to drop off her five-year-old daughter, Layla, when an unmarked car started to follow her. Two agents then told her to step out of her car. Paula repeatedly asked them to identify themselves, but they refused. The fourth time, she asked them... They finally answered and said, you have an order for deportation and we're taking you to downtown. Paula quickly asked if she could take her daughter back to her house with her parents. The agents then took her car back to her house while she sat handcuffed to a van. Once the ICE agents arrived at her house, they arrested her father on the spot, then her mother, and finally her dad's cousin that was staying with the family. Her father was taken to an ICE, her family was taken to ICE field office in the Loop. Paula was released the same day, but when she returned home, she found that her house had been burglarized. Paula filed a police report, but has not heard anything on the investigation. Her parents and dad's cousin were taken to an ICE facility in Kenosha County, Wisconsin. They are currently being held at Pulaski County Jail in Olin, Illinois, and are facing deportation back to Columbia. Paula's family had fled Colombia's bloody civil, civil war. Paula says she feels like ICE agents tricked her into telling them where her family was. What are you? What are your thoughts about this story?
10: Uh, well, my thoughts about a story like that are always uh, because I'm a historian and I work at the Chicago History Museum. I always think uh, about these kinds of stories uh, in a historical context. So. Um, what I think is that uh, these kinds of stories have have happened for a long time, uh, unfortunately. And um, what has happened over long periods of time is the fact that uh, while uh, this person's family, as you said, was fleeing um, a bloody civil war in Colombia, uh, people like that actually uh, should be considered uh, refugees, but often because the U.S. government has some kind of relationship with the country where they're coming from, they don't want to qualify them as refugees because that's acknowledging that there is a problem in that country. And so that actually goes way back, like, uh, over a century, over a hundred years. So um, I'm sure other people would have other stuff to say about the story that you read, a very important story. But when I think about it, I go straight to the history aspect because I'm, because that's that's my thing.
9: Okay. Um, oh, now, Oh, nice. Okay. So about um, oh, oh, okay. Do you think so? Okay, um go. So um, Mike here has some more questions on uh-huh. the sanctuary cities. Okay. 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 Hi. Kay. Hi. Um. Do you think making Chicago a sanctuary city has been beneficial to all of it, all of its residents?
10: Uh, I, th- I I think it's a good idea and I think it could be beneficial from what I understand about sanctuary Chicago as a sanctuary city is that our ordinance here isn't as strong as it could be uh, so I think the ordinance the that is the city law could be strengthened um, to protect uh, people who are seeking sanctuary more than it already does um, Chicago also has a history of being a sanctuary city and Chicagoans being activists around sanctuary cities going back 20, 30, 40 years uh, to civil wars in Guatemala and Nicaragua. So there's a big history of that here as well.
9: Thank you for that answer. Okay, so do you think there should be a limit for how long you. Is pr- it? Oh, wow. Well, okay, my bad. You go ahead. <laughs> Okay, a question that we've been wondering is, is there a limit to how long a person can stay in a sanctuary city?
10: Uh, you know what, I don't know offhand what the, uh, if they're in each sanctuary city, sometimes the the rules or the laws are a little bit different, and I I honestly can't specifically answer your question, how long someone can stay in Chicago, for example.
9: Okay, uh, final question, Um, since Chicago became a sanctuary city, has the population of immigrants increased significantly and does it continue to increase? Uh,
10: To my understanding and knowledge, uh, it hasn't increased significantly. Uh, So um, there's also other laws at play. You may have heard uh, about something called the Muslim ban, uh, where people from certain countries that are primarily Muslim can't come to the United States uh, anymore, despite the fact that they're fleeing really difficult situations in, in Syria and Burma and, and in other places. Uh, so um, I think uh, if the uh, number of people seeking sanctuary were to increase, then people, activists in Chicago, would have to encourage people seeking sanctuary to come here. Which is what uh, activists did in the 1980s. So it hasn't it hasn't grown uh, very much, to my understanding.
9: Okay, so um, that's all that's all our questions. Thank you for your time.
10: Sure, ex- excellent questions. Thank you.
9: Okay, this is it. Thank you so much for for taking the time today to join our pa- podcast. I'd like to thank Mr. Vassalone, the owner of Percolator, and Mr. Carlos from by- Block by Block.
3: Writing, development and production by 7th graders at Smyzer Elementary. Beats and music by Samuel. This live podcast was the closing ceremony of a 10-week block-by-block after-school program at Smyzer Elementary. This workshop was funded in part by CPS Lives, plus a special collaboration in the development phase with the Pulitzer Center. We also would like to thank the Chicago History Museum for their enormous support while answering our inquisitive wonderings. Also, a big thanks to Percolator Coffee Shop at Portage Park in Chicago.